Welcome to Building Fortunes Radio. Make sure you check us out at buildingfortunesradio.com. Along with our marketing partners, we're here to help our PM Marketing Network Lead customers build their businesses and make the world a better place. At Building Fortunes, we know how much your business means to you and the people important to you. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. Now on to our show with your host, Peter Meagles. Hello, everyone. Peter Ringles here. You're listening to us on Building Fortunes Radio. It's www.buildingfortunesradio.com. It's a Saturday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. on the Central Side, and we are here every Saturday on Scott Johnson's radio show. And the way this whole thing got started was um, I was doing some uh, thinking about having a bigger platform, and about 11, 12 years ago, I decided that, you know, I wanted to do some podcasting stuff, and Internet radio shows seemed to be one of the things that we wanted to do, so we went and uh, found a platform that we were working with. I was working with somebody else at the other time, helping her out of a situation, and I said, you know, I think we could probably do this on our own. So I bought a domain name called buildingfortunesradio.com, and as a result of that, we started to do this, and I wanted a platform to talk about things that were happening in home-based businesses that people that were looking at home-based businesses more like a career than just a hobby would be able to learn a little bit more. So we'd also be able to help her promote our um, network marketing customers as well. So when we started with this, I had some guest hosts, and one thing led to another. I was doing a radio show with a gentleman named Roger Van Blissingen, and he brought along a friend. His name is E. Robert Smith, and we did a radio show right around the time that Herbalife was being challenged by Bill Ackman and the FTC for being a pyramid and kind of like had their own version of a tool scam as well. And even though Vima was not publicly traded, um, they were kind of being investigated at the same time, being taken down by the FTC more or less at the same time as well. So Roger Van Vlissingen, who was a very anti-MLM guy, um, who believes that MLM can never be done right, even though it could be done right on paper, will just never be done right in practice, uh, did the radio show with us. And Scott Johnson called me up right after that and said, you know, Peter, there was something that you guys just missed. And I said, you know, and most people miss it too. I said, what's that, Scott? He said, the tools scam associated with network marketing. And although I have been associated with network marketing for many years before that, Never really heard anybody call it the tool scam, so I figured I'm going to learn a lot more by him telling me what it was, and when we started speaking, I realized that he was talking about and referencing the same thing that I was thinking about through my Amway experiences, because I had hired and fired myself three separate times, and for some people that cannot figure that out, you don't hire yourself in an MLM, you don't fire yourself in an MLM. You sponsor your way in under someone, and you can quit. But I hired and fired myself three separate times, and mostly because I saw there's something wrong with this. Like, you guys aren't focused at all on selling the products. You're more interested in books, tapes, and functions. The system, we would call it. The system is sacred, you know, all those types of things. And I just said, you know, someone's making a ton of money on these books and these tapes and these functions, or if they are, they probably should be because they're, they're collecting a lot of money for these things. But, you know, it's just not my thing. Like, I I think they're misleading people because the lifestyle that they're preaching from stage cannot be achieved 
on this compensation plan by the average person, not even close. I mean, it'll take you like 2 million years to be able to get the volume. And that's a slight exaggeration, but not that too much. So when I said to Scott, do you have a website? He said, I sure do. It's called stoptheamwaytoolscam.wordpress.com. That's when I knew that he was talking about the same thing I was thinking about. So we said, let's do some radio shows because a lot of people don't know this. You're absolutely right. And Herbalife had a version of their own tool scam as well through the systems that they put in place, although that was still not really spoken about too much. Bill Ackman kind of picked up on it a lot, but uh, really wasn't spoken too much about. But we said, let's do some radio shows. And some radio shows have turned into a few hundred radio shows as we've been doing this. It's been one of our longest-running regular radio shows, and we're here all the time on Saturdays, whether it's live or replay, unless, of course, there's a technical challenge. If there's a technical challenge that we cannot overcome, that sometimes happens, and if you're going to be on the radio shows as many times as we have, those are inevitable. So we are here on Saturday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central Time to talk about whatever we're going to talk about, and today is going to be one of those radio shows where we kind of do it on our own. So Scott Johnson, thanks for being here on your own radio show. Hey, Peter, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, I don't even think Bill Ackman really focused on the tool scam a whole lot. I'm trying to remember um, where he was placing his focus. But I, what I do remember, um, and I think it was shortly after the FTC announced that they were taking a look at Herbalife, that Herbalife came out with this change, um, and they said, okay, guys, no more lead generation business. And there was a fellow by the name of John Peterson with Herbalife, and he was making a ton of money from, uh, you know, lead generation. Um, and he, just like in Amway, with the Amway tool scam, he was not very open about the fact that most of his lifestyle came from lead generation versus Herbalife. You know, all the Herbalife people did pretty much the same thing that the Amway people do, is they give the impression, they lie by omission, that their success came from Amway, whereas most of it came from the tool scam. So what happened was Herbalife came out with a policy. They said, okay, um, over the next six months, you need to phase out your lead generation uh, businesses uh, because, and of course, they didn't say the, the reason, but it was because it was getting so much attention and they didn't want to go to to the extreme of, of having to try to explain that to the FTC. Uh, so at, towards the end of that six months where, you know, it was the deadline, um, John Peterson, uh, in one of his vehicles in his driveways, I think it was in Colorado, uh, put a bullet through his head. Now, we don't know what other challenges he had, right? We, I never met the guy, didn't know the guy. Um, but the timing was certainly interesting from the standpoint that he was basically giving up most of his income and most of his lifestyle. He probably had quite a bit of overhead, uh, you know, with trying to maintain that lifestyle. And, you know, my assumption, I don't know this as a fact, but my assumption is he wasn't able to maintain his lifestyle and therefore he was not able to project that, aura of success to his downline and so he just decided that's my way out um, so it is a it is a big business when it comes to uh, particularly Herbalife and Amway now an in, another interesting thing it was uh, shortly thereafter I think or, or maybe even before the six months was up was Herbalife 
also came out with a policy saying not just the lead generation, but you need to not make so much money from the meetings. And so uh, that was another edict that went out. I'm not sure if they said just the meetings or all other tools, including the meetings. Um, but I did a little bit of research looking at the meeting uh, costs, you know, the, the money to buy the tickets, uh, and, and I was able to find some information before this word went out, and then I was also able to find information after the policy changed, and there was no change in prices. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know if there was much less attendance. I doubt it. Um, I, I think they just ignored the the company and, and just decided, look, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And if they want to kick us out and have less volume, then so be it. You know, that's, that's kind of, I think the way these people operate. So, um, yeah, that's Herbalife's version of the tool scam. I don't know what the current policy is as far as particularly lead generation. Um, and I don't know about all the other, you know, potential tool profit sources, you know, where, where Herbalife has come down on that. But, um, yeah, that's just kind of some information to show the importance of the tool scam. You know, it really does illustrate how significant it is. And if you go to my websites, <clears throat> I've got all kinds of information on the amount of money that the Amway, and this is the upper levels, right, the 99% below them, most of them don't even know they're making most of their money on the tools. It's really the top 1%, and it's probably the top 0.1% if you look at making big money on tools because there's a lot of people um, sort of at the beginning level of making the profit that might make, I don't know, 25 30% of their total income from the tools. But when you get up to the higher echelons, um, there's – specific examples of people that were kicked out of Amway and then they started talking. And and my favorite one is Brig Hart. It's B-R-I-G-H-A-R-T. Uh, he got kicked out, joined another MLM and started talking about how, you know, his new MLM was paying him so much better. And these are my words. He says, I don't have to scam you anymore on tools. Um, but that's essentially what he said. Um, and then he said, I was making almost a million dollars a year from Amway uh, before they kicked me out and I was making eight to $10 million a year from the tools. And he was just trying to illustrate, you know, how much better his new MLM was, but in doing so he squealed on himself and, and displayed the massive amount of money. And he wasn't even one of these company owners, right? These tool scam companies. He was just one of the guys who happened to be, by the way, very popular back in the, you know, 90s and early 2000s, um, you know, he had a huge business, a lot of excitement, a lot of hype. And certainly back in those years, you know, probably the mid to late 80s and then into the early 90s, uh, the Amway business was growing tremendously quickly. I mean, there was new people, what they call crossing stage. That's where you achieve a, a certain pin level. And then you go up on stage to be celebrated, and, and there was just a ton of those going on. So it was very encouraging, you know, to us joining in January of 93 that, hey, this business is really working. I mean, look at all these people earning new pin levels, and, you know, if they can do it, why can't I do it? And and that was, you know, a very common perception of a lot of people, and that was the intent, right? That's the intent of 
bringing all these people across stage is to give everybody else uh, confidence and hope and aspirations that they can do it as well. So it, it all is a very well orchestrated uh, scam for sure. Um, but you can find all of these things uh, on my Facebook page. If you go to facebook.com slash Scott Tex Johnson, it's S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word. Um, you can find these websites. There's three of them. One of them focuses on the U.K., uh, one of them focuses kind of generically, and then the one that you mentioned, StopTheAmwayToolsGam.wordpress.com, focuses mainly on Amway, although I've got a bunch of other stuff in there too, um, particularly Herbalife, uh, when that Bill Ackman thing was going on, which was kind of the, around Christmas time of uh, 2012 uh, for the next several years, which coincidentally and coincidentally only, I think that's when you got – uh, your platform started, and I came along in 2015 <clears throat> to to join you on these weekly shows. And also, it was really an important uh, time for me when Bill Ackman started in December of 2012 going after Herbalife, because up to that point, um, I was pretty busy with Amway. You know, I, I had just come out of a lawsuit with Amway, which I kicked our little corporate butts. Um, in fact, the... Um, the settlement is on my website. That was one of the things I insisted on with Amway was, okay, we're going to settle, um, but this is not going to be one of those settlements where nobody makes any comments. It's going to be open. So you can find that on my, on my websites, that, that settlement. Um, and, and so the thing is, you know, with, with the lawsuit being over, uh, there was less news coming out of Amway. Um, and, and then when Bill Ackman arrived with his, I've heard anywhere between 50 and $75 million worth of research. Um, I said, oh, it looks interesting. So I started reading and, and watching some of his research. And I said, hey, this looks a whole lot like Amway, and it, it, and it is. Um, and, and then I've, I just started wondering, I wonder if other MLMs are like this, and they are. There's, there's so many more similarities between other MLMs and what I know about Amway that – the differences are really inconsequential. They're, they're minor. Um, there's, there's probably some MLMs out there that don't have um, the, the problems that Amway has, but I don't think there's very many. And the two big problems that we talk about every week, because we like to, particularly for the new listeners and also for the uh, stupid people that, that listen to the show over and over, they just don't get it. Um, the two big things um, which I think is either universal or nearly universal, which is a lack of retail sales. Um, and, and, and that's really caused mainly by overpriced products. Uh, that's, that's really what, what causes lack of retail sales is you just can't find customers, right? And we're not talking about distributors buying the stuff. We're talking about people who are not distributors, people who are not part of the MLM compensation plan. Those are customers, not people on the inside. Um, so that, that's either universal or nearly universal. I, I, you know, I'm looking for a company. I've know, I know there's some claims out there, particularly the insurance MLMs that say we have retail sales, and I think they have a good shot at being honest about that. Uh, I just haven't seen the numbers. You know? um, now, the, the tool scam problem, and by the way, going back to retail sales, 
with a lack of retail sales, that's the, that's the exact definition of an illegal pyramid. So most people throw around the P word, right? Pyramid, 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 and they have no idea what it is. Well, what it is, is lack of retail sales. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's very simple, but something that most people just whiff on, you know, these, these anti-MLM huns that we call them. Um, and, and we use that term because the anti-MLM, mostly women, uh, call the people that are in MLMs huns because it's very common when you're approaching somebody in an MLM, like on social media, you say, hey, hon, how you doing? You know, it's been a while since we've uh, talked, and, you know, that kind of thing. So they use the word hun just to kind of break the ice. Um, and so the anti-MLM huns, you know, use that term. And I use the term on anti-MLM huns because um, they're pretty much as clueless as the pro-MLM huns. You know, they don't understand either that lack of retail sales is an illegal pyramid. They just don't get it. And I don't know why, because it's a very simple concept, but they're so mad, you know, that they just don't think. Uh, they, they, they just can't process uh, facts. And, and so they just go off on their, you know, emotional tirades and hysterics and, you know, their eyes are rolling in the back of their head and their arms are waving around and their face is snarly and, you know, all these things. And it's really impressive, but uh, they, they just don't talk about facts. <laughs> so there's a fact. Okay. Um, now there's a question of how much retail sales, because there's no law or even guidance from the FTC <clears throat> that indicates, okay, how much should you have? But they did settle with Herbalife and Vima back in 2016. And both of those settlements uh, and the Herbalife one is kind of a sliding scale, but if you take the middle of the sliding scale, and you take the 51% that Vima agreed to, then if you have as many sales to customers as you do internal consumption amongst the distributors, I'm pretty sure you'd be in on safe ground with the FTC. And so there's nothing definite. I wish the FTC would um, put out something definite like that. In fact, I suggested that back in, um, I guess it was May of 2022, when the FTC was asking for input on uh, earnings claims and products claims. In fact, that's the top story on my Facebook page, the one I just gave you. If you go to the very top story, um, you can read my input to the FTC amongst that and many, many other issues that they uh, request in, input on. And I answered every single question and sub-question uh, explicitly. Um, there was no stone unturned. It's, I think it's about 28 pages um, of their questions and my responses. So anyway, that's that's the retail sales issue. Now the the tools, particularly in Amway, um, in our day it was books, tapes, and functions, right? The, the upline sold books. They sold uh, cassette tapes. Now the technology has progressed to um, – you know, MP3 and MP4 downloads and phone apps and those kinds of electronic things. Um, and then also uh, the functions, the meetings. And they, they clean up on all three of those, four of those things. They also have uh, voicemail. They also have website access. The, the, you know, they, they clean up on all kinds of tools which are intended. And I think the content does a decent job of motivating and training people. But they're still silent on the fact that that's where they make most of their money and that's what makes it a scam. If they would be honest about the amount of money they make, then it would just be part of the business model. 
you know, would just be something that you have to consider when you're looking at joining Amway, um, being aware that they're making most of their money there, and therefore you're paying a whole lot more for the tools than if they were not making all that profit, right? That's where the profit comes from, is from the, the tool prices. It's not the tool itself, it's the tool price. That's what makes it a scam, uh, and keeping that, that, that resulting profit secret. Now, the Internet has helped. You know, there's some people out there that are talking about these things more. Um, and I do think it could be a whole lot better than it is, and that's why we do this show every week is to try to get more awareness and people speaking out about the right things. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll stop there and let you make any comments, and then we can rip into whatever we want to talk about tonight. All good stuff. And then just for those people that are wondering, I know you said retail sales a lot, but if you ask most people, what do you think retail sales means in the network marketing sense? Can you give us a, you know, like a good working definition of what retail sales is? Because a lot of people, they've heard that term so many times, they might take that casually. They may not really know what that means. So what is retail sales? Well, you really led me into what I was going to uh, propose we talk about first tonight, which is the New York case. That's the Neora case. So retail sales, it, now my definition, which I gave to the FTC again back in May of 2022, is when you're selling a product or service at a profit to someone who is not part of the compensation plan, right? They're, all they're doing is buying the product or service for the exchange of money, which to them is a you know, a fair exchange, uh, just like going to a store, right? If you go to any store, whether it's physical or online, you're exchanging your money for their product or service, um, but that's the end of the deal. I mean, that's all that's involved is is exchanging that money. Now, you might get coupons or things of that nature. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, the actual MLM compensation plan, not some kind of bonus that you might get from being a customer and buying so much stuff. Um, that That is still a customer. Um, and, and what I told the FTC was, you know, I, I consider at least a 10% markup. If you, if you don't have um, profit of 10% more than what you're purchasing the product for before you sell it to them, then you're really not in business, right? You're really, what you're really doing is trying to cover the fact that your products are overpriced because you can only sell them at your own cost. And, and to me, that's not business because the, the, the crux of business is making a profit. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I don't think that a retail sale um, should count if there's no profit there. Um, and, and also, a lot of MLMs, I think including Amway still, I haven't looked at their rules recently, but um, it used to be um, if you would, you know, give somebody a product, just, you know, hey, try this out, no cost, you know, just give it to them um, as a sample, so to speak. Uh, that also counted as a retail sale, um, but again, I don't consider that a retail sale because there was no sale and there was no profit. In fact, there was a loss, you know, on the sample. <laughs> if you, now you, there's the hope that you're going to have them say, yeah, I'd like another one of those or show me what other products you have. This was great. And so there's a potential for future retail sale profit, but certainly that particular sample um, was not a retail sale. That was just trying to get attention, um, you know, for that product and other products. So, so anyway, that's my definition of a retail sale. Um, 
and I don't know if you have any comment on that or, or whatever, but uh, um, no, go ahead and make your comments, and I'll, I'll get back into the New York lawsuit. Sure. So for those people that are wondering, like if you're an MLM and your downline buys something from you, that is not a retail sale because it's kind of still part of the thing where you have to have an end user that's not part of the compensation plan. But if it's a distrib if it's a customer of yours, you know, your next door neighbor buys from you, that's a consideration or that's a considerable retail sale. So the person who's buying the product has no incentive as far as part of the deal. Um, now, technically speaking, I guess you'd say, well, would 100% of your business need to be those retail sales? And the answer is nobody would expect that because by the very nature, the people that are the salespeople who want to buy the product for themselves too. So there should be commissions generated through those personal sales, but if they're only personal sales, if it's too lopsided, then it looks like there's a pyramid going on, meaning the only reason why you're buying is because it's some kind of a financial incentive one way or another that may have nothing to do with the product itself. Sometimes it might do something with qualifying for a certain rank or qualifying for a certain special or a bonus or anything along that line, or maybe just to participate in the scheme. And that's what we're talking about, retail sales versus any other kind of sales as well. So this is, I, now I, I was not expecting this to be part of your topic, but it does fit pretty well into if you're talking about Neora, because um, this is a major uh, defining moment in why they were attacked and why they actually won the case. So back to you. Yeah, and, and and you know certainly um, the 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 distributors when they buy the product they do get compensated. And I, I want to say it was the Burn Lounge case. It may have been a different one where the FTC basically told the judge, "Hey, look, we don't think that distributor purchases should qualify for bonuses." And um, the judge said, "Look." I'm not here to make new law. I don't, I don't know what the judge's thinking was, but my thinking, if I had been the judge, because I would have agreed with him or her, I would, I would have said, look, um, I'm not here to make law. I'm here to interpret existing law. And what you're trying to do is, is make me make a new law, which disqualifies distributor compensation for self-consumption. And I'm not going to go there uh, because I'm a judge. I'm not, I'm not legislature, um, and, I, and I think that was an appropriate answer to that ask, if you will, from the FTC. Uh, the FTC is always trying to, you know, move the ball down the field like that, and and instead they need to do their process, right? They need to go out and ask for input from the public, like they did with the um, earnings claims and product claims, and they later did with the uh, generic business opportunity rule, um, I think it was a few months later, uh, that's the way you get new information and, and you make new rules. Um, you don't just say, hey, judge, go do this. Uh, you could also, as the FTC, approach Congress, which is pretty worthless in my opinion. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to get bills that we need approved out of Congress, let alone bills that, you know, we don't really need you know what I mean? When it comes to MLM, I don't think we need any new laws. Um, it's okay to have some. Um, I think there's plenty of, of um, you know, just, just the fact that the FTC's edict is, and this is in their, in their laws, the FTC laws, is, is they are supposed to be looking for 
unfair and deceptive business practices. Well, um, certainly a tool scam is, is unfair and deceptive, you know, when you're hiding most of the, the profit. Um, but also, um, it, it, it's unfair and deceptive when you have a lack of retail sales because when you have a lack of retail sales, what you essentially have is the same thing as the old, you know, the, the old airplane game or the chain letters or the gifting schemes, you know, all of these product-less uh, the, uh, pyramids. It, it's the same thing with MLMs when you don't have retail sales because you can say the first part of the purchase that was comparable to what you could find in a similar product on the market um, is a legitimate sale. There's nothing wrong with that. But the amount above that, um, when you lack retail sales, that's the same thing as all those other things I just mentioned that are clearly, uh, you know, illegal pyramids. It's, it's proven. It's, uh, there's no question that, you know, just the, the fact that there's been case after case after case and, and you have all these case law uh, foundation, there, there's just no way um, that you're going to find a gifting scheme being found legal in this day and age. And the same should be true for MLMs that lack retail sales. Now, I've been thinking about this a little bit, Peter, recently, and I, I've kind of come around to kind of a middle ground to where what, what the MLMs could do, and I'm, I'm speaking of the Amway compensation plan here. I don't know what other MLMs would do, but, you know, the assumption with Amway, um, one of Amway's rules, in fact, is that you're supposed to have 50 PV, which is about $150 worth of products, maybe 200 now with the inflation the last couple of years, but let's call it $150 um, of purchases. Uh, and, and Amway has always preached, and the upline has always preached, a minimum of 100 PV a month. And so 50 PV of that, by rule, is supposed to go to customers. Um, and, and so what Amway could do is they could double the compensation on the first 100 PV of consumption so that you would get a higher bonus for your retail sales. And then the, the company would not have to compensate you for your internal consumption of the other 50 PV. So you would still make the same amount of money, but it would have to go towards the retail sales. And, and so that would be a way of, of kind of making it fair and also very open that you have to have retail sales. Um, that's just something I've been thinking about recently uh, as a way of, of kind of, not compensating the the distributors for their own consumption, um, but increasing the bonus at that very bottom part, not the whole not the whole compensation plan all the way up, but just that bottom starting point, that that first rung on the ladder, so to speak. Um, you could do that, and you know if the distributors actually had those sales, they would make the same amount of money as if they had um, you know made those sales. And had the self, you know, internal consumption. Now, now, one of the challenges with that is, you know, some people would would uh, consume a lot more than 50 PV. You know, if you have a big family, um, particularly with Amway, with all of the products that they have available, um, you could easily, and we did this as a young family, you can easily purchase 100 PV or 200 PV a month, and not have 
you know, you wouldn't be what they call garage qualified where you're not using the stuff. Um, now, if you have a company that has a very low uh, product uh, choice, then that rule would probably be, you know, easier to, to say that this is appropriate. So um, that's, that's one of those things that I've just been thinking about, and, and I think it's workable. Um, some of those details, like what if you consume more than that much, um, we, you know, we, we would have to uh, do something with that, you know, such as only your first 50 PV is uncompensated, and above that it is compensated. I just haven't looked at the whole numbers and see if that would be, you know, something that would make sense. Um, but anyway, that's just an idea. Um, to, to be able to not compensate for internal consumption when it gets out of control, because it is out of control. I know the last year we were in, um, with our upline at least, because uh, I was in after I found out about the tool scam and, and quit associating with my upline, but we had just finished a one-year promotion of um, 300 PV per month which really did stretch even with our family, um, spending that much money on Amway products every month. That was definitely a stretch. And some groups uh, today, uh, I don't think the, my former upline does this. They might, because I really don't know. Uh, but I do know that some of the other lines of sponsorship, they have you know, 200 and 300 PV as an expectation uh, every every month, you know, not just a one-year promotion, but just that's just normal, um, which is really excessive. It, it, it's really hard unless you have a, a very large family or, you know, you wear a lot of makeup or, you know, you just swallow pills like crazy um, that you can spend that much money every month because they are overpriced and it, it's just not good use of your money. Um, so, so, three, anyway. so 300 300 PV would equate to about how much in regular U.S. dollars? That's about a thousand dollars today, or more. Wow. Um, I haven't looked. I haven't looked at the the PV BV ratio, which is how they, you know, how you calculate essentially what the what the price is. Um, but it it has been a three to one ratio. You know, 100 PV is 300 dollars. Um, but that was a couple of years two or three years ago, and with all the inflation we've been having, because that's the intent of the, of the PV-BV ratio is to keep up with inflation. The, the PV measures the amount of stuff, right? You want to have the same amount of stuff give you a certain level in the business, you know, a certain pin level, so to speak. Uh, but then with inflation, you have to increase the payout because the, the product cost is going up, and you want to keep that in line with the bonus, right? The bonus needs to increase as the prices increase, because if you don't do that, pretty soon you're making a whole lot less profit on the on the uh, same amount of money, and so it, it becomes a disincentive. So you have to have that PV-BV combination uh, to keep up with the uh, the bonus, basically the, the amount of uh, the the worth of the money that you're paying out not just the dollars, but the worth of those dollars. As we all know, especially the last couple of years, with high inflation, um, our dollars are not worth nearly as much as they were, you know, back in the Trump days, for example. Um, and, and inflation is normal, but not these levels that we've been having 
the last uh, two three years. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of you know some some uh, background information on that. Excellent. Okay, good. So yeah, you you led me right into what I was because you know we talked about this on a couple different weeks. I think they were consecutive about a month or two ago. But then we had guests. We had other things to talk about. But this Neora lawsuit where the the FTC just totally blew it. I mean they they came at at Neora with five different claims and they lost on all five of them. And not only did they lose, but this judge was was very um, disappointed, I would say, in the FTC and, and their lack of bringing facts to the table. In, in fact, she said on more than one occasion, I think, um, and this is me sort of reading between the lines. She didn't say this exactly, but, you know, if you read the whole decision, I think it's like 56 pages, um, the, the feeling I got was, gee, I'd really like to nail this New York company, um, but they brought some facts to the table, even though they're not very strong. Um, FTC, you didn't bring anything. And since this is a civil lawsuit, you know, I have to go with the 50.1%, right? The, the, if, if it's just a little bit more than half on either side, that's where I have to decide on, on, on their side, the one that has the 50, you know, 0.001%. And she said, you didn't bring anything. So all I have now is 100 to zero. And, and I'm not real thrilled about it, but those are the rules, right? So, so it was, it was really, you know, a, a very critical decision, critical of the FTC. It reminded me a little bit of the Juro Omar decision where this judge really raked the, the FTC over the coals when they tried to, you know, basically uh, promote this five by five by five thing, this saturation model that, you know, Robert Fitzpatrick, and unfortunately, he's got a lot of traction amongst all the anti-MLM huns. They think he's just Mr. Anti-MLM, and, um, <laughs> and, so, and so it's one of those things that's frustrating to see people promoting that, and yet they're, they're also aware that um, at least half to three-quarters of the people that start an MLM quit within a year, um, and, and most people that join an MLM never recruit anybody and yet they go with this this model that if you sponsor five and every single one of those sponsors five and every one of those single hundred you know 25 sponsor five and and all of the 125 also sponsor five um, all of a sudden within 13 generations I think it is the whole planet has been sponsored right and, and uh, it, it's just not how it works you know you're, you're just making stuff up trying to trying to promote a position, um, but you have no facts. All you have is a math model, you know, and, and a math model doesn't work when it's not consistent with the real world. And, and the real world is not that way. And, and they just don't get it. These anti-MLM huns, they just don't get it. Um, but again, that's another reason we do this show is to try to explain that that is a false narrative. Um, now, the FTC also tried to use that reasoning in the Amway 1979 lawsuit, and the judge was a little bit kinder to them. In fact, he was an administrative law judge within the FTC, so he kind of had to, you know, he kind of had to be a little bit nicer to, to you know, his fellow employees, uh, but he rejected it. He, he said, no, 
sorry, that, that doesn't work. Um, it's, it's not based on reality. It's based on math, and the math doesn't fit the reality. So I don't think the, F, the FTC has ever tried that angle again since then. Uh, to my knowledge, they have not. Um, but, again, the anti-MLM hunts keep, keep promoting it, unfortunately. Um, and, and it's easy to point out that there's precedent and logic for rejecting it, and therefore they lose credibility. And so some of the other things that they're saying um, that are correct are not listened to because people say, well, you screwed that thing up. Now you're going to screw up this thing too. You know? And so they just lose their own credibility by trying to, to push that. And that's really disappointing, but again, that's another reason we do this show every week to, is to try to turn that around. Um, anything more? Nope. You're good to go. Let's jump into it. Okay. So I'm going to jump into kind of where we left off uh, about a month or two ago with Neora, which was on page 21 of their 56-page decision from the judge. And I think we left on the, the point of uh, one of the things that, that the uh, – lawsuit resulted in, you know, some of the discovery and so forth, is that, um, and I'll just read the sentence, uh, in 2021, about 3,300 uh, what they call PCs, which is a, um, uh, what's it called, something customer, a preferred customer. Um, so they went almost, or I should say over 3,000 of them went from a preferred customer to what they call a BP, which stands for brand partner, which is the same, you know, it's a, it's a distributor. The generic term is a distributor. Um, and it also turned out that not only did almost 3,300 of them switch, that represented 30% of all newly enrolled um, BPs or distributors that year, which really struck me as a very high percentage because um, in, in my Amway experience, and I think in most people's, Amway or other MLM experiences, um, hardly any customers become distributors, right? Because when a customer experiences the high price, they go, I'm not going to become a distributor. I'm not even going to stay as a customer. And, and so this 30%, which is almost a third, right? That, that's for one of our stupid uh, anti-MLMers just, you know, just to help him out with percentages and, and so forth. Um, so, so I think one of two things is going on there. One is um, the the distributors, or I should say the, the uh, preferred customers, are not being told up front that if they became a distributor, they could get a higher discount. But they do give them a very good discount. And then later on they say, hey, if you want an even bigger discount, you know, become a distributor. And I think that's one of the reasons – uh, that, that you have this 30%. Uh, a second reason, I think, is probably because they're telling them explicitly, you need to become a, a preferred customer first because I need preferred customers to show the FTC that we have customers. And then after a month or two, I'll sign you up as a distributor um, so that you can both build a downline and make money and get a higher discount. Now, I don't know if either one of those things are true, but I believe they are. And that's, again, where the FTC really blew it uh, by apparently not even questioning that 30% because they just don't understand how MLMs work. You know, they have Stacey Bosley as their quote-unquote expert 
who knows nothing about MLMs. She's an academic, and she just doesn't know anything. And apparently she didn't pick up on this 30% either. And so that's just one of those things where, you know, the FTC had a, a prime opportunity, and they blew it. So I don't know if you want to make any comments about that. Now, we, we know how great Stacey Bosley isn't, so I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. So she's yeah, she's maybe. an academic that sticks her nose in the books and doesn't really stick her nose into reality. So that's Stacey Bosley. Yeah, as far as I know, she's never professor. been in MLM. Yeah. yeah, associate professor, Hamline University over in Minnesota, I think it is. Yeah, my only hope is that the FTC has dropped her as a uh, quote-unquote expert because uh, this judge was very critical of her and the other expert that they had. I don't remember who that was, but they had a second expert that, that really wasn't. So, um, so, so here's what, what you kind of led me into earlier in the show, which is the biggest thing that the FTC blew with this New York lawsuit. And I'll, I'll go ahead and read this sentence too, where I made the comment. This is the, um, from the, from the uh, judge's decision. It says an estimated less than 1% of New York product sales are made to retail customers. Okay, that was the FTC's position, and it had been their position for, I think, a couple years before this lawsuit. We were, we were questioning, like, how could it be 1%? And Niora was claiming anywhere between, I think, 60 and 80% was retail sales. And both of us were befuddled, at least I was. You know, how could, how could they be so different in, in their judgment of the amount of retail sales? I mean, what... What could cause that? Well, what caused it was extreme stupidity on the FTC and Stacey Bosley's part because Neora has these different categories of customers, all of whom, by the way, are retail sales, right? Um, so you can buy it at full retail price, or I think there was two more levels. I think there was a um, you know, sort of a uh, middle discount level, and then the really deep brand, or I should say uh, preferred customer discount level. And the thing is, 1% of their customers were labeled by the company name as retail sales. But all that other 99% were going to customers with larger discounts. In reality, these were real retail sales. It's just the fact that Neora put the label on the on the people paying full retail sales as a retail customer and so and so the FTC and Stacy Bosley and all her quote unquote intelligence decided that Neora only had one percent retail sales and and that was the answer we didn't know that until this decision came out I'm scratching my head going how can they be so far apart on this? Because Neora gave them a whole bunch of information. And Neora actually said to the FTC early on, look, we can explain all this. If you would just talk with us, we'd be glad to go over all these facts and figures with you. And the FTC, I believe, declined. And, and so they went down this rabbit hole. And this is the biggest thing they blew. I mean, this was mind-boggling how you know they could just – totally missed this concept of what a retail sale is. Um, I think maybe they were hoping that, you know, New York would get flustered and intimidated and just fold, right? Um, and they didn't. They pushed back. 
and I'm glad they did because we got we got a lot of good information um, from this lawsuit. We got we always get a whole lot more information when things go to trial, and then you can see you know whether it's the actual evidence or at least the judge's interpretation of all the evidence, um, and, and it's a whole lot more useful than settlements because in settlements you hardly know anything. You know, in, in most settlements the the agreement as part of the settlement is both sides pretty much don't say anything um, other than, you know, either what the agreement was or they might even be quiet on everything. They say, we settled, no more comment. Um, now, generally, with the MLM settlements we've seen, we do get some detail, you know, like with the Herbalife and Vima, you know, we knew that they had to pay a certain amount of money. We knew they had to change their compensation plans, you know, things of that nature. Uh, they had to record and provide um, the evidence of the retail sales. All those kinds of things are really good, but there's nothing like, you know, a full documentation of of all of the evidence, and and that's really useful. Um, but yeah, that that one percent, unbelievable how off the FTC was on that. Uh, I don't know if you have any other opinions on why they were so different. I, I do. Just to highlight the level of arrogance and or ignorance or incompetence on the FTC expert witnesses. So I'm just going to say what you just said again, maybe just a different way. Imagine if, you know, you were a customer on Amazon, and a lot of people have bought things before on Amazon, and you decided that when you bought it one time at full price, that was when they listed you as a customer. But if you decided that you wanted to save the 5% and order it monthly because it's a product you really liked, that for some reason the FTC wouldn't recognize you as a retail customer anymore. Like when you paid full price, you were a retail customer. But when you ordered monthly and you got a 5% discount, you were no longer considered a retail customer. I mean, that is as blatantly stupid as this whole case was. Scott, this whole case was mostly built on lack of retail sales, and they blatantly screwed it up that bad because they were so friggin' arrogant that they had the details sent by the company, and then they were so arrogant when they said, you don't have any retail sales, and the company said, are you crazy? We can explain this to you. They said, no, we don't need your explanation. We're totally okay on my own. What arrogant, pompous, inconsiderate, incompetent, throw any other word you want in there, expert witnesses. And that whole case would have been thrown out, if you will, on day one, if they would have had an opportunity, meaning Neora would have had an opportunity to be able to explain what I just said to the FTC and the judge, because the judge would have sit there and said, what are you guys, crazy? I like, throw this out. Like, let these people go home. Stop harassing this New York company. And I just gave you an oversimplification. So for those assholes that are out there that are going to do, like, a response video on what we just said, like, you're assholes. You're taking everything out of context. You're fucking stupid. Like, all these – Scott, I love the people that react to the way that we do things, and then they just kind of pick apart because they don't understand how to, how to handle a simplified explanation. Well, I just gave you a simplified explanation. That is not 100% factually true, but more or less it works. So that's basically what happened. And they spent three years trying to destroy a company, and the company – 
did the right thing. Hats off to Nior, Jeff Olson, the president of his company, any distributors that stuck with him. They stuck with them through this bullshit that the FTC did. So back to you, Scott. Yeah, and just imagine if, if it was, let's say, a department store, right? You go into a department store, you can find all kinds of things on sale. So what if what if those department stores were not allowed to to count the things that were sold on sale as part of their you know sales volume? Just imagine how low their sales volume would be if they couldn't count anything that was on sale as a retail sale. I mean it, it's just right. mind-bogglingly stupid. There's no other there's no other term you can use except stupid. It it, it just shows a total lack of you know common sense. Um, I would say business sense, but it's not even business sense. It's common sense. You know that if you sell something on sale, it is still a retail sale. Um, again, by my definition, I think it should be a minimum of 10% markup because that's the essence of business is to make money, but. You know, it still should count as a retail sale. So it, it's just, it's incredible. I, I when I read this, I was so shocked, disappointed, frustrated, be. whatever you want to say. It, it's just it amazing because, because, because you know, most of these most of these lawsuits take a minimum of four to five years, unless the company folds right away. Um, it takes a minimum of four to five years to get through the court system, um, and and so. You're, you're spending all this time wondering what's going on, um, and, and you know that there's no – I don't think there's – today there's any current um, lawsuits against MLMs from the FTC. So if they filed one today and the company pushed back, we would have to wait another four or five years to know the outcome. It's just incredible waste of time. Also, guess what? The judge also said, hey, FTC, um, since you lost – you also get to pay all of Neora's legal fees. Well, guess what? The FTC doesn't pay anything. The FTC has nothing. The only thing the FTC has is our tax dollars. So our tax dollars actually paid for Neora's legal fees because the FTC was incompetent, and they hired an incompetent, quote-unquote, expert in Stacey Bosley. And, and you know that should be upsetting to every taxpayer in the country that the FTC is wasting our tax dollars in this way um, and, and wasting the time that it takes to go after another company and to, to send a message out into, you know, the MLM industry that the FTC is on it, right? Well, they're not on it. So, so it, it's just, you know, just really, it, it's just really amazing to me. It, it's, you know, it, 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 it boggles the mind with, with all of the, case history that the FTC has against other MLMs to blow something this fundamental is, is amazing. So anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. I could, I could go on all night talking either, about that. Either it's incompetence or vindictive because they wanted to do something to basically know that they're going to throw some legal hurdles and some hurting on New York and they're hoping that the company's going to go out of business or hurt, you know, whatever. So it's either arrogance uh, or it's incompetence, or it's vindictive. Either one, e either one of those would be just really bad. And uh, although the F and we, we throw the FTC under the bus a lot in this example, but you know the FTC has done good work in other areas. So we don't want to just be like anti. We don't want to be like Trump derangement syndrome, where you mentioned the word Trump and everybody freaks out. So the FTC has done some good work in other areas, but in their department that handles MLM. They suck. So back to you, Scott. 
Yeah, uh, particularly um, Neora. I mean, I, I think they did pretty good with both Herbalife and Vima. I would have pushed for stronger punishment for both of them, um, but they both got pretty strong punishment um, that, that both sides agreed to, right? This is something that both the FTC and both of those MLMs agreed to in the settlement by definition. Um, but, yeah, this one, this Neora one, uh, they just totally blew it. And now, another theory I have, and I don't know if there's, you know, any substance to this, it's just a theory, um, is that, you know, the FTC has been butthurt ever since the 9-0 to Supreme Court ruling, um, you know, where, where they, uh, you know, basically were told, look, you've been misusing the law for literally 40 years by getting money and other things back from MLMs. And you can't do that anymore. Uh, all you can do is issue from a court an injunction. That's it. That's all you can do. That's what the law says uh, under Section 13B uh, of the of the rules. Now there's a Section 19 um, where you can actually the FTC can can submit a lawsuit and go through the process so that people's Fifth Amendment is protected. You know where you're allowed to defend yourself versus what has been going on in the previous 40 years. Uh, the FTC would go ex parte to a judge and say, "Judge, uh, here's all the stuff that we have on this company. You know, we need you to hammer them right now. You know, because if you don't, they're going to take the money and run." And so, in the previous 40 years, the judge would say, "Yeah, we need to really shut these ga- these guys down. We need to." you know, assign a receiver, we need to take away their access to all their money, not just the money in their MLM, which of course resulted in people not even being able to hire a lawyer to defend themselves, which again, to me is a, you know, constitutional violation. Um, You know, in practical terms, if you don't have money to defend yourself, you can't defend yourself. And yet you have a right to defend yourself. So it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's a catch-22, and the Supreme Court said, nope, you can't do that, period. And I think they're just – they're still butthurt over this. So it's almost like they – it's almost like they intended to lose so that they could get more, um, you know, more attention from Congress to reinstate 13B and, and, and that unconstitutional ex parte uh, approach, but they could easily go to section 19 and go through the lawsuit path, you know, where, where both sides are in front of the judge and then the judge can weigh the evidence on both sides, not just one side and make a decision, you know, both initially and then through the trial. Um, and that's the new process. And that's the process that should have been in place in the previous 40 years. But for some reason, you know, nobody else, <laughs> nobody else pushed back on that. And in fact, the the person that did push back, it wasn't even an MLM. It was a, a guy that was a scam artist and he was actually in prison at the time. Um, but he, you know, made this complaint originally and said, they don't have this authority. The FTC does not have this authority. And it, it, that wound its way all the way through, you know, all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, this guy's right. I mean, he's a convicted felon, he's in prison, but he's right on this point. And, and that's what shut down this whole uh, one-sided prosecution of MLMs and, and other companies uh, on the part of the FTC. So definitely a, a very important ruling. And I, don't, I just don't think the FTC has gotten over it. You know, they, they have never 
um, recovered. Uh, and they've always said constantly, we need to get back our 13B authority. And yet, and yet the Supreme Court has said, no, it's, it's unconstitutional. You can't have it back. So, it's, again, it's just it's like a child, right? Just like Trump, what you need just to like do Trump's is, arrangement syndrome. They yeah, haven't adjusted to Exactly. You, you need to adjust to reality, just like the anti-MLMers have to adjust the, to the 5 by 5 by 5 being garbage. Um, you know, they just need to think. <laughs> so, so, anyway, uh, I'll stop there. It, it's, it, it is okay. frustrating. Um, so, let's see. Um, my next comment, and this is the sentence in the, in the decision, it said, sales to uh, preferred customers are considered ultimate end-user sales i.e. purchase for personal use without the intent to resale to anyone else. And I just wanted to make a point here is what really does not count is intent when it comes to retail sales. It's not that you're doing the training or you have an intent or you want to sell. All of those things are involved, but the only thing that really matters is did you make the actual sale, yes or no. It's easy to measure. Now, it's also very common that they cheat, so you have to be smart enough to catch the people cheating, you know, falsifying records and so forth. Um, but it's, it's so easily measurable. You don't have to, you know, get into someone's mind, which is impossible anyway, um, and try to figure out, okay, now what was their intent? You know, what is, the, what is the environment? What is the culture of the company? All these sort of soft, squishy questions um, that you can – just go round and round in your head without ever coming to any kind of meaningful conclusion. Um, all you have to do is say, did you have the retail sales or not? Period. That's it. It's simple. Um, it, it, but it's, it's not something that most uh, anti-MLMers really focus on is the bottom line of retail sales. So um, anyway, I don't know if you have anything more about that. Nope. You're good. So another thing in here was, um, and again, I'm on page 21 still uh, in the footnotes, and um, one of the things that came out of this lawsuit is the fact that the preferred customers do not have the lowest price. Um, the, the lowest price goes to the distributors, and I think that should be something that's prohibited because what it does is it it hides the fact that people that want the lowest price but have no intent of being a distributor, you know, sponsoring other people or selling the products, um, that it, it hides them and it makes them look like they're customers, sort of, and then distributors, sort of. And it, and it just muddles the whole analysis. So I think there should be a rule that says, if you're a preferred customer, that's the best price you can get. You can't get a lower price by just being a distributor. Now, you can, you can get a lower price by being a distributor if you also sell the products and sponsor other people. That's how you make money. But as far as the discount, I don't think that the distributor discount should be lower or higher, however you want to look at it greater um, than a preferred customer. I, I, I just think that, that that definition is really important. In fact, Herbalife, um, soon after the settlement in 2016, tried to talk the FTC into 
um, an agreement that if there was a Herbalife distributor who didn't sponsor somebody within six months or or maybe even have sales, I can't remember the exact criteria, but anyway, they didn't go anywhere, that they would automatically not be a distributor anymore, they would be a customer. And the FTC said, no, if they want to make a choice, you know, if they want to opt into being a customer, fine, but you can't just redefine them based on their lack of performance because they might be trying, but they're not successful. But if they're trying, that means they're actually a distributor. They're just not very good at it. And so, and so the FTC declined to allow Herbalife to do that, which again is the right answer. You know, that's one of the things that the FTC got right in my opinion. Um, but you know, that's, that's just one of those things that it, it just makes it muddled. You know, you, you can't tell how many customers there are and how many distributors there are and what their volume is unless you have a very clear separation. Now there, there already is a, a clear separation in that a distributor signs a contract, right? You have all these rules you have to follow, whereas a customer does not. And, and so that's just another reason to make sure there's a clear separation between distributors and customers. Um, and, and there's already a very, definite line as far as signing the, the distributor contract. So anyway, your thoughts on that, Peter? You're all good. Okay. Um, I'll move on. Um, now they did talk here again in the footnotes. It, it talked about, um, it says non-product sales include enrollment kits, fees, subscriptions, such as Neora Edge meetings, promotions, donations, and tool purchases. So that reminded me a lot of a tool scam. You know, again, I think that should be on the table as far as what the profit is. And by the way, that should be not just for the upper level distributors, that should be for the company, right? There should be visibility of how much the company and or the upper level distributors make from all these tools, um, just so that there's visibility of that when you're making a decision whether or not you want to join a company you want to know hey you know if you want me to be in contract with you if you want me to to work with you be part of your organization um, I need to know where you're making your money um, and, and if that's hidden then as a as a person looking at an MLM you really don't know what's going on you know all you know is what they're telling you and you have to assume what they're telling you is what they want you to hear and they might be hiding things that they don't want you to hear. And certainly tool scams fall into that category of uh, things they don't want you to know about. Um, and in fact, that was very clear and you can go on my YouTube channel, which is again, linked on that Facebook page, look up Andy Andrews. Um, and, and he actually pulled a letter out of his coat pocket right before he was kicked out. He didn't know he was going to get kicked out, but he pulled a letter out of his pocket at a major function. And according to the letter, and I think he was telling the truth because he was still in Amway at the time, or Quickstar was the name back then. Um, and the company said only the top 2% should make money from the tools and the other 98% should not even know there's an opportunity to make money from the tools. To me, that's the most unfair and uh, you know deceptive thing you could do in an MLM, which, you know, again, it's amazing. The FTC doesn't pick up on that, um, but time will tell. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that really wasn't 
pursued by the FTC again, right? This was just a, a literally a footnote in the decision, um, but it was not a big deal from the FTC. So it's it's just um, you know disappointing. Now it also goes on to say in 2021, 95% of New York's revenues came from product sales. I assume that's both distributors and customers. Uh, 3% came from enrollment product packs upgrades and 2% from non-product sales. So it looks like at least on a company level, there's not a huge amount of profit. Um, in, in my view, that doesn't even have to be shared with the distributors at large, right? If it's that small, who cares? You know, it's not a major factor. What we don't know is how much the upper levels of the Neora distributors made from tools. That part, again, I don't think was pursued at all by the FTC, unfortunately. Um, and, and maybe Neora is one of these companies that has rules against the upline making money from tools. I, I don't know. Um, but it's just something you know you can't forget about. You have to always be thinking, okay, they're telling me this, but what's the whole story? So anyway, any any comment on that one? Nope, you're good. Okay, so um, let's see. So the, the foot no, on the next page, um, it, it talks about, it says, Dr. Bosley states in her report that for all brand partners, again, that's the thing for their distributors, for all brand partners who enrolled between 2012 and 2020, 74% recruited no brand partners, 85% recruited one or fewer brand partners, and 89% recorded, recruited two or fewer brand partners. And, and my comment on that is so much for the five by five by five, right? <laughs> if most people don't recruit anybody or maybe one or two, then how are you going to propagate your five by five by five by five? It, it's, it's impossible. Uh, and it's, it's just incredible how um, people still try to use that. It, it's, it, it, it's as mind-boggling as the FTC not understanding what a retail sale is, you know. <laughs> so, and the five-by-five five translated into uh, terms used by people like uh, Fitzpatrick, Robert Fitzpatrick, and everybody else is they call that the endless chain, the endless chain. So anytime you see endless chain, just think of the incompetence relative to that five-by-five-by-five-by-five example. So back to you, Scott. Yes, yeah, those two things, the five by five by five, the endless chain, and saturation, all three of those terms mean the same thing. You know, when, when you think about it, when you talk about it, they're really the same thing. Um, and none of them are true. <laughs> none of them exact. None of them exist in the real world. They're all they experiments of the imagination. Yeah, it's never happened. They're all unicorns. They're all unicorns. They've never happened. Wishful thinking. Yeah, it's never happened. So, you know, why put forth an argument that never happens? And that was really the point of the original Jeromar judge, he said, that's great math, guys. Congratulations, you know. You guys passed the uh, basic math test, but guess what? That's not the reality. That's not what is happening in the real world. That's happening. In fact, I think he even used uh, the fantasy world, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty hard on those guys. Um, I, I would encourage anybody to, to read the Jeromar decision. It's, it's quite entertaining. Uh, the judge was not Pleased. So if, if you go to uh, GER-RO-MAR, uh, go to that name and then put in FTC, you'll find the decision 
and and you'll find a quite entertaining um you know decision by the judge he was he was very much amused and not impressed with the FTC and and he really had a good time with them <laughs> you know poking fun of them and just you know basically making them look like the fools that they were trying to put forward a theory that has no relationship to reality so um let's see what's my next one here um so the next one is, I guess, on the next page, wherever I am, 23, I think it is. Um, and again, I'll just read the sentence here. It's talking about Coscott. Um, it says, such schemes are characterized by the payment of participants of money to the company in return for which they receive, number one, the right to sell a product, and number two, the right to receive in return for recruiting other participants into the program rewards which are unrelated to the sale of product to ultimate users. Now, I actually read the Coscott decision uh, a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, um, and, and it's interesting because on a, on a couple different items. One is uh, the Coscott uses the term ultimate user once. It's like 20 or 30 pages long. They use it one time. They use the word retail sale I'm going by memory here. I think it was 80-something times retail sale, retail sale, retail sale. And the only time they used ultimate user was once, which is in this definition of, you know, what Coscott, what the judge in, in the Coscott case considered a pyramid. And, and interesting also is Coscott was an outlier as far as the environment you know, the, the, the circumstances, the facts of their case in that for the first year or so, they had zero products. They had no products. All they were doing was hyping up, hey, if you join us, once we get products, you'll make a lot of money. Well, they were selling these, these joining fees for a lot of money, and you made a lot of money when you signed people up. Uh, there was no products at all for like a year or so. And, and so... Um, that was such an obvious, transparent, illegal pyramid, you know, just like the other illegal pyramids we mentioned earlier, um, that it was a no-brainer. And, and so, to me, Coscott is so simplistic and so confined that it, it should never be used. Um, there, there's another case out there. and in, in fact, this, this uh, New York case brought that to the forefront because um, – the, the the Fifth Circuit, which is where this this lawsuit was was held in Dallas, Texas, um, has never used the Coscott as a precedent, and so they used a different case, which has a much better definition. I don't have all of that at the tip of my fingers, but it, it, it's it's much better as far as defining what an illegal pyramid is. Um, the the Coscott is just so limited that in my mind it should never be used but it's what the FTC has hung their hat on as far as I know every single time with MLMs um, and and there's there's so much controversy that's created by the pro MLM people saying well ultimate user could be a distributor right if you buy something and you use it you're the ultimate user and so that should count as a retail sale well no <laughs> in, in fact there's been you know, cases where that's very clear that 
you know, that's challenged by the FTC, and, and they win on that point. But you'll still hear that argument from the, from the pro-MLM people. You'll still hear the argument, ultimate user. That includes, uh, you know, uh, distributor consumption, and, and it really doesn't. And that was really not the intent. But Costcott, since there was no retail sales for a year or so, you know, they didn't even have to worry about who's buying it because nobody was buying it because it wasn't available. And so, and, and so it's, it's really been manipulated, you know, by the pro MLM folks um, and, and wrongly so, because I don't think there was any intent for an ultimate user to be anything other than a customer. Um, uh, but again, that issue was not discussed in Costcott because, you know, for a year or so there were no customers. <laughs> in fact, they even made a comment um, it appeared that the, the cosmetics, that was what Costcott sold, um, the cosmetics seemed to be pretty good. You know, once they became available, they appeared to be pretty good. But because you're charging so much for people to join, it's still an illegal pyramid, guys. Um, and that's why they were still, you know, shut down, essentially. So any any comments on that? Nope, you're good. All right. Um so it also made a comment on Costcott. It said the second element of Costcott test has been characterized as the, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, uh, sine qua non, in other words, the, the, the basic, the foundation, the, the, the main point of a pyramid scheme. That's what that Latin term stands for. Um, and, and so, again, ultimate user. Um, now, my comment on that also is it's not just the sales of the products, but it's also the tool scam, right? When you're making money outside of the products, uh, then you're, you're just changing the whole business model, and you're not looking at the whole picture. And, and to me, that's wrong, to not, to not look at everything. Um, and they do go on and says um, – the presence of this second element, recruitment with rewards unrelated to product sales is nothing more than an elaborate chain letter device in which individuals who pay a valuable consideration, in other words, money, uh, with the expectation of recouping it to some degree via recruitment is bound to be disappointed, which is true. I mean, that's, that's the thing. If, if, if you are making most of your money by either the act of recruitment or when you recruit somebody, their internal consumption purchases, then that's an illegal pyramid. Um, and, and what people often miss on this is, oh, you make most of your money recruiting. Well, most MLMs are smart enough to not, to not repeat the cost-cut error. And so most MLMs that I'm aware of do not reward you for the act of signing somebody up. They do reward you when that person who signs up also buys a starter pack with products in it, um, which is logical to me because if you want to represent a company, you ought to be familiar with their products. I mean, that's kind of a duh. Um, uh, but, and, and the upline does make money on those, those product purchases by the downline, <clears throat> which again, I think is appropriate. Um, but most of the anti MLMers say, Oh, you make most of your money by uh, recruiting. And they, they, they stop right there. And, and when, a, when an MLM can show that they do not reward the upline for the act of recruitment, again, like I mentioned earlier, the anti-MLM Huns lose their credibility.
because they are easily proven wrong, and now their points about other things that might be correct are given less credence because they've already been proven wrong. So, you know, again, they just shoot themselves in the foot by putting forth this oversimplistic argument. Um, but that's the anti-MLM, Hans. They're in it for the drama. So there you go. Uh, any, any more comments on that one? Nope, you're good. All right. So we're going to move on. Um, let's see here. There's actually a couple pages where there's no comments from me. How about that? Um, so it talks about, um, now it says in reaching this conclusion, I'm not sure which conclusion they're referring to. I'll have to go back. Um, uh, I don't want to go back and waste time on the show. Um, let me see if I can still make a point out of this. In reaching this conclusion, the majority admitted that no clear line separates illegal pyramid schemes from legitimate multi-level marketing programs. So again, that's a weakness in the in the law, right? In, in the guidance from the FTC, um, if if there's no clear separation, there's no line between, you know, legal legal MLMs and illegal MLMs, then to me it's a government problem. And the, and the MLMs even, even ask for more clarity. I don't think they're going to like the clarity that they get when they get it, but at least they've asked for it. So, so um, again, it's, it's just a failing of the FTC to understand how fundamental retail sales are to being a legitimate MLM. And, and their excuse in the past, the FTC's excuse has always been, well, you know, we don't want to pin ourselves in. We don't want to confine ourselves and, and limit our flexibility. Um, and there's two problems with that. Number one is that is the fundamental. So you don't have to worry about, you know, weakening your position. The other thing is, and these are all lawyers, right? These are all wordsmiths. They, they can always word it in such a way that an illegal pyramid includes but is not limited to lack of retail sales. You know, and that would give them an out. But they've refused to take it. So far, um, hopefully they'll, you know, read my input and something will sink in um, and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I also intend to talk to them a lot more uh, coming up because I'll, I'll be uh, retiring pretty soon from my job and I'll have a lot more time during the day to be, uh, you know, available, you know, during the week, during the, the working day when all these other people are, are at work. So I intend to get much more involved in those discussions uh, whether it be with the FTC or with the, uh, you know, the, the legislative body, um, the, the uh, you know, people in counties and cities, you know, the, the, the city councils and, and county commissioners, all those kinds of people. I intend to become much more involved in discussing this and, and hopefully I can get some traction and start to really build this up from from where it has been. Because doing this since 2005 and not really making much progress is frustrating. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, Peter. I'm really looking forward to leaning into this with more time available when, when the time is more valuable uh, to, to uh, make a difference. So, um, good news. So, yeah, so news. that's, that's, that's going to be a good thing, I hope. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'll tell you that. You know, it's one of those things. It's the old Teddy Roosevelt quote, you know. It's not the critic that counts. It's the it's the guy that's in there trying and, and you know, bleeding and getting dirty and, and all that. It's it's not it's not the uh, person on the sideline. It, that's not 
the person that really counts. It, it's the person that's in the game, you know, competing. Um, not, not the people yeah, pointing fingers, snickering, right? The only thing I would probably say is, uh, although it may seem like not as much has been done, there's been plenty of stuff that's been done. It's just not as much as you'd want. So you've made an impact, but it hasn't been the career or the uh, industry changing total impact that we're looking for. So we're still starting. Yeah, certainly, yeah, certainly the, there's been positive things. Just like, you know, the anti-MLM huns with all their garbage, uh, they have made a positive impact from the standpoint that people do watch their videos and then someone that would have joined an MLM does not. There's no doubt about that. The question is, what percentage of, uh, of, of influence have they had? You know, I would say, uh, compared to what they could have, I would say less than 5%, you know. So, yes, you've had an impact. You know, congratulations, clap, clap, clap. You know, you're my favorite person. Everybody wins a trophy, you know. Okay, great. You're, you're the best person that ever lived. I, I get it. You know, you want to build up your ego. I, I understand. Um, but you could have done so much more if you'd focused on the right things and worked together. You know, these people complain about, uh, for example, you know, the, the DSA, which is the lobbyist for the MLMs, and they go, oh, oh, woe is me. They have a, you know, they have this lobbyist. They're on K Street in Washington, D.C. Oh, woe is me. You know, they're, they're so powerful, and, and I'm not going to be able to do anything. Well, guess what? You can do the same thing if you start working together. You could form, you know, an organization that wouldn't be, you know, probably a, a lobbyist per se, but it would be an industry group, um, just like the groups that you've led in the past, Peter. Um, you know, the ANMP and the, and the predecessor to that, um, you know, you weren't a lobbyist as far as a legal definition, but you represented an industry and you had people working together and they had at least some common goals. You found out that some of their goals weren't, uh, you know, very desirable and you left. <laughs> so I guess technically you were kicked out, but you were probably happy to be kicked out just like I was happy to be kicked out of Amway um, because it just didn't align with your values. Right. Um, yep. And that's, that's the frustration is for all the people out there, these anti-MLM hunts, man, they could be so much more impactive if they would just think and think about working together. You know, that this annual trip that the MLMs make to Washington, D.C., um, you know, talk to all their, you know, congressional people and, and you know, oh, this is, this is uh, how great is MLM? This is just the most wonderful thing. And you've got several, I would say maybe at least, 30 or 40 people in Congress that used to be in MLMs and probably none of them made money. Probably all of them or most of them lost money, but it did teach them certain skills like presentation skills, uh, time management, um, you know, being more outgoing, all of which things, these things are valuable in being a politician. So yes, there is value in MLM. Um, there may not be value in the business model because it's an illegal pyramid and, and RICO fraud, um, like the tool scam is, but there are skills taught, valuable skills, um, and, and they take those to Congress. They leverage those skills and they use them. Um, and so now they, they think that MLMs are great because that's how they got to Congress, essentially, by learning those new skills. Um, and there needs to be somebody on the other side saying, yeah, you're seeing all the fluff and, you know, all the, you know, nice things about MLM, but how about the other side? And, and that's, you know, what I would love to present is the other side so that they can see the full picture again, right? I, I, 
they're not getting the full picture right now. And, and it's largely because people that are critical of MLMs, because I'm not anti-MLM. I've, I've said that many times, uh, just like we've both said that on the show. I'm, I'm pro-MLM. I think it's a brilliant business, business model if it's done correctly. If it's done incorrectly, it's terrible. And, and we define correctly, or at least I do on this show, it's lack of retail sales and tool scams. Uh, it's that simple. And, um, but again, you know, if people don't coalesce around ideas that have merit, because I'm not going to cozy up to Robert Fitzpatrick and his 5 by 5 by 5 I refuse to do that. It would ruin my credibility um, or anyone else that promotes that you know, crazy idea. It just doesn't make any sense. And I would lose my credibility if I agreed with them. Um, and I just won't do that. So um, I would love to form an organization that really focuses on that and, and then attract attention from others to say, yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I'll join you. You know, we can put our dollars together also if you have enough people to counteract the lobbying on the other side. Um, it just takes people with some common sense and, and determination, you know, to, to provide the other side of the picture uh, for these politicians. And, and really, when you think about it, we have more power than lobbyists do from the standpoint, if we have enough people, <clears throat> yeah, they can give the politicians a few bucks. Um, it's probably a very small percentage of their overall contributions, you know, compared to all the non-MLM contributions. But the one thing that politicians desire the most, more than oxygen, it's getting reelected. And if, if their constituents are mad about something, about anything, and enough of them are mad, and they make it known, guess what? That politician is going to change their mind. They're going to they're come over to the other side because they want to get reelected. They don't care about the few bucks that the MLNs are throwing their way because that's zero votes. Uh, the, the votes they're going to get – now, they, they do get a few votes from the distributors, I'm sure um, – I won't say zero, but it's very small. If you had a large group of people who were very vocal, the politicians would look at the dollars from the MLMs and the small number of votes against the large number of votes on the other side, and they would make the right decision because that's what politicians, that's their lifeblood. So anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. I know we're at the end of our time anyway. I'll let you make any last comments, Peter, and we can pick this up next week. No, great information. So one last time, give people your website to be able to go through. And if they want to hear this radio show again, if they go to buildingfortressradio.com forward slash Scott dash Johnson, they'll be able to hear this as well as the previous radio shows. So Scott, give us your uh, website one more time. Yeah, and that's one of the links. The, the, links that, the link that you just mentioned is one of the links on my Facebook page, as well as the three websites, the uh, email, my email, uh, my YouTube channel, uh, my phone number, which I gave out last week. It's on my Facebook page now. So if you go to Facebook.com slash Scott Tex Johnson, S-C-O-T-T-T-E-X-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, all one word, it's all right there. So um, if you're listening to this and want to make a difference, join us. Love to have you. Um, we just have to focus on the right stuff. So, Peter, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk again next week. I'll see everybody next week. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Take Building care. Fortunes Radio on buildingfortunesradio.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the designated Building Fortunes Radio segment with Peter Mingle. 
Be sure to check out the BuildingFortunesRadio.com website for our featured segments. It's been our privilege to have you listen in. At Building Fortunes Radio, we wish you the success you deserve and are willing to work for. So spread the word, tell a friend, join our newsletter, and go make a difference in your world. 